0: Welcome to Malicious Mamas, a podcast dedicated to an all-female perspective on lore, legends, and the creatures of the insomnia-driven fears you have at 3am. I am your host, Nikki Mandiola. A true crime treat for this week's episode. This mama's story gets more and more outrageous the deeper you dive. What could have possessed her to commit these crimes on the people she was supposed to hold close still remains a mystery. Without further ado, let's get down to it. This week's topic is Mary Ann Cotton. Cotton's fame comes with the fact that she was an English serial killer, and some believe Britain's first serial killer. Born on October 31st, 1832, in Low Morsley, a small village in northeast England, to parents Michael and Margaret Robson. Cotton's father worked at a local mine and lost his life at an accident at work in 1842. Her mother then remarried another mine worker named George Stott. As a child, Mary was described as innocent with average intelligence and was noted to have a very clean and tidy appearance. At the age of 16, she decided to leave home to become a nurse. Three years later, however, she returned to train as a dressmaker. Finally, at the age of 20, Cotton had her first marriage, and this is where the real story begins. In 1852, she married William Mowbray, and the pair had their first child, a daughter named Margaret, in 1856. Margaret unfortunately passed away in 1860, but the couple went on to have two more daughters and a son. The son didn't make it past the age of one, however, and passed from gastric fever. This was just the beginning of the family suffering from losses of their loved ones, and in 1865, Cotton's husband died from an intestinal disorder. Lucky for Mary, not only did her son... But her husband as well had their lives insured cotton went on to collect around two pounds for her son and a whopping 35 pounds for william which was equivalent to half a year's wages for a manual laborer at the time after this ordeal mary moved with her remaining two daughters to Seam harbor county durham there one of her daughters passed away from typhus fever and Cotton decided to send the other away to live with her mother. Once alone, she moved to Sunderland and took up a job at the Sunderland Infirmary caring for sick patients. A man under Mary's care, an engineer named George Ward, became infatuated with her and the couple was married in August of 1865. Ward was constantly ill with paralysis and intestinal problems during their marriage And finally, in October of 1866, he passed away. The only thing out of the ordinary about his passing was stated by his attending doctor. Apparently, the physician confirmed Ward was quite ill, but was shocked that he died so suddenly. Regardless of this statement, Mary went on to collect Ward's life insurance money. Not one to waste any time mourning, Cotton soon took up a position as a housekeeper in November of 1866. This job took place at the home of James Robinson, a shipwright whose wife had recently passed away. A month after her employment, Robinson's baby boy passed away from gastric fever. Devastated by the loss, James turned to Mary for support, which ended up resulting in her pregnancy. Right after confirming she was to have a child, Cotton's mother became sick with hepatitis, and she left to care for her. Within a few days, her mother began to recover. However, she often complained of stomach pains. Surprisingly, in 1867, just nine days after Mary's arrival, her mother died. Cotton's stepfather left the home and remarried, leaving her to care for her daughter from a previous marriage. Mary and her child returned to the Robinson home. Not too long after their arrival, her daughter, as well as Robinson's two other older children, developed stomach pains. All three would pass away in the spring of 1867. You better believe Mary collected the insurance money directly following her daughter's burial. In August of 1867, she and Robinson married, and their baby was born in November of that same year. However, the child died in February of 1868. The Robinsons had a second child, a son named George, in June of 1869. It was around this point that James started to feel a bit suspicious of Mary's actions. For one, she was constantly insisting that he take out an insurance policy on his life. This persistence prompted Robinson to look into Mary's activities outside the home. He discovered that his wife had run up a debt of 60 pounds, as well as had spent about 50 pounds that she was supposed to put into the bank. If that wasn't enough, with a little more digging, James learned that Mary had been forcing his older children to pawn valuable household items. That was the final straw, and Robinson kicked her out of the house, making sure to retain custody of their son. Forced to live on the streets, Mary turned to a friend, Margaret Cotton, for support. The woman introduced her to her brother, Frederick Cotton, a pitman, and more importantly, a recent widower. After their loss, Margaret had stepped in to care for his two children. Shockingly, in March of 1870, she died of an undetermined stomach ailment. Mary, of course, always willing to console a man in need, stepped in. This resulted in her 12th pregnancy. She and Frederick were married in September of 1870 and had their son early the following year. Listener, I'm sure you can guess what happened to old man Cotton next. In December of 1871, he passed away, from gastric fever no less. Directly following his death, Mary took up with a lover named Joseph Natras. One of George's children died in March of 1872, and their infant son wasn't too far behind. If you're doing the math at home, that leaves only one child still alive from her previous marriage, a boy named Charles. Unfortunately for this boy, he too had an insurance policy. Before anything could happen to him, Mary was asked by a local parish man, Thomas Riley, to care for a woman sick with smallpox. While there, Cotton complained of Charles as a nuisance and inquired to Riley if it was possible to have him committed to a workhouse. When the man did not give her a favorable answer, she replied with something to the tune of, no matter, he'll go like all the rest of the cottons. Sure enough, five days later, the boy was dead. Riley immediately went to the police with this information, and they contacted the doctor, preventing him from writing a death certificate until an investigation could take place. Without that certificate, Mary could not collect the boy's insurance money. Sure enough, an inquest was conducted, but the jury declared that the boy died of natural causes. During this, Mary had claimed she gave the boy arrowroot to ease his pain, and that Riley only asked for her to be investigated because she rejected his romantic advances. Everything would blow over, right? A newspaper, intrigued with this story, took it upon themselves to do a little research on Mary's past. Uncovering the deaths of essentially everyone in her family made Mary look awfully suspicious. Dr. William Briers Kilburn, who had attended to Charles' body, tested remaining samples to find arsenic in them. Police immediately arrested Mary on the charge of murder. Her trial began in March of 1873. During this, Mary's defense claimed that Charles died as a result of inhaling the arsenic, found in the green dye on the wallpaper in the Cotton home. Surprisingly, this wasn't enough to clear Mary of murder, and she was found guilty. On March 24, 1873, Cotton was hanged at the Durham County Jail. There, she met her demise alone, having forced all those close to her to an early grave. On that note... Keep it real, mamas.